Father, we thank you for this study time in the book of Revelation. We're so thankful tonight, Lord, that you've not left us, God, just kind of to fend on our own or to wonder and wander about, but you've given us your word as a lamp, as a light, as a beacon, Lord, of truth and hope. And Lord, even things to come, we, do not have, we don't have all of the answers, Lord. You've not disclosed everything, but you've given us that which we need to know to help guide us, to help prepare us for those things that you are doing. And so tonight I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and give us ears to hear. And you would speak to us tonight, God, out of your word and by your word. Anoint this time now by your Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 tonight, titled tonight's message, A Hallelujah Chorus. A Hallelujah Chorus. This word hallelujah, it's actually um, a combination of two Hebrew words, hallel, which means to praise, and Yahweh, God. Hallel Yahweh. Hallelujah. It means praise God. When we say praise the Lord, when we say praise God, the Hebrews, the Hebrew version would be hallelujah. So we use that today, of course. Oftentimes you hear Christians say hallelujah. We sing it in our songs. The title of our song, this, you know, the first song tonight that we sang, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and that means praise God. So what we're going to see here tonight in, in these first ten verses is really kind of a, a chorus of hallelujahs, a praise and a worship that is going to now rise up to God. We've been coming through the study of, of Revelation, and it's been a pretty... Uh, yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty uh, dark journey through some of these passages, let's be honest. Some of the, the judgments that God has in store for a rebellious earth. And we've just fit, finished and completed really uh, some of those last judgments, the bold judgments, and then uh, a more in-depth description of the destruction and judgment upon Babylon, both a spiritual Babylon and commercial Babylon, the, the system of the world, both in religion and commerce, that God will ultimately judge. And all of that has taken place and has led us up to what is really the climax of the book of Revelation and really the, the climax of the tribulation, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. So we are now at the doorstep. Thank God we've gotten through those other chapters to be honest, there were sometimes having, Lord, I've got to teach this again, more judgment, more, more you know, pouring out. But it's, you know, that's why Jesus said that the tribulation is going to be uh, not like a time ever before. And he, and he said, if God hadn't cut it short, even, you know, even some of the elect would not be saved. So we've come to the end of that now, and Jesus is now getting ready to return. And just prior to his return comes this voice of worship in heaven. John now, his, he's seen the judgments upon the earth, and now his vision is, is uh, turned back to heaven, and this worship and praise beginning to rise up as Jesus is getting ready to descend and bring his victory and kingdom into the earth. So that's what we'll look at tonight, and a number of things that... Uh, stand out to us, but if, if we could, I'd like to just, there's just ten verses that we'll look at tonight, and if you don't mind, just follow with me. We'll read through the whole ten verses, and then we'll come back and take a look at some of the things that, that are mentioned. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. 
For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, referencing back to Babylon, which we just read in prior chapters. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both great and small, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This chorus of hallelujahs. You may, uh, you may be familiar with that hallelujah chorus that is sung so often at Christmas time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You ever heard that? Anybody heard that? <laughs> I'm kind of butchering it a little bit. But, you know, I think I, I think I learned that when I was in junior high. I was in a choir in junior high, and that was and it, it, from junior high all the way through high school. So for six years, we sang, we sang that every Christmas. And I had that second tenor part. I was way up there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Lord God, oh, Omnipotent reigns. I can't remember all of it now, but uh, it, 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 some of this, some of it comes from this passage, and it's a classic piece and sung often at Christmas. Just the reminder that God is on the throne, that God is in charge, that God is worthy to be worshipped. The first thing we notice there in verse one that that is called out. One of the the reasons that he is worthy, and one of the reasons that they praise him is for salvation. Do you see that? After these things, I heard a loud voice of great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. There's something about keeping salvation in view that keeps our hearts connected to the Lord in worship. Something about the judgments of God having just been poured out kind of helps bring perspective to salvation, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if you've ever driven by a really bad freeway accident, but as you drive by, probably something in your heart feels like, oh my, I'm glad that wasn't me. That could have been me. Maybe this just happened, you know, just in front of you. Maybe you're just new on the scene and you, oh my goodness, Thank you, Lord, that I wasn't. It looks tragic, and I'm so thankful that I, that didn't happen to me. You'd be driving down the road not thinking about the dangers, but when you see it, wow, you're appreciative of safety. And this is kind of what I sense is happening here. All of heaven has been watching this judgment of God come down upon the earth, and it's unfolded. 
and those that have been saved out of it, those that have been rescued out of it, and those who are not going on to eternal judgment, there is a great appreciation for salvation. There is a great thankfulness in their hearts that God has saved them. Salvation is the expression of His mercy and His kindness. The truth is, all of us deserve judgment. We look and we consider what others are, are, you know, may be ultimately judged for, but truthfully, we all deserve judgment. We're not better as Christians than anyone else. We're all just sinners, but some saved by grace. And so there is this hallelujah, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the, the, the very salvation that I have come to embrace in Jesus Christ. What are some of the things that cause us to lose our appreciation for salvation? You see, because if you're saved, you always have a reason to rejoice. Because it's no small thing that you're saved. Salvation is no just like, you know, fringe benefit. It is the benefit. It's the great thing that God has done. He has saved us. Saved us from judgment. Saved us from wrath, which we all deserved. And there ought to be an appreciation and a joy in our hearts. And we ought always be ready to say hallelujah, praise God for the salvation that we have. But I know at times in our lives, myself included, I lose sight of it. I, I kind of get lost in my way and, and I forget the joy of his salvation. A couple things come to mind. This is not all that happens, but I, I think this is part of it. Some of the reason that, that I think people don't have a joy for their salvation is one of it is just because of self-righteousness. They imagine that they're pretty good anyway. So salvation isn't all that valuable to somebody who's already pretty good. To some, somebody who already kind of imagines that they have a, right, a pretty good standing with God anyway. Salvation, well, of course I'm saved. I mean, look at me. And you don't appreciate it when you imagine somehow that you deserve it anyway. Do you remember Jesus when he was at the Pharisees' home? And the woman that was a sinner came in and began to wash his feet and weep at his feet. And you remember the Pharisee in his heart, he, he thought to himself, wow, if, that, if this man was a prophet, he wouldn't be allowing this woman to come in and touch him, knowing he, she was such a great sinner. And Jesus, of course, perceiving the man's heart, he said, Simon, I have a question for you. Who do you think will... Love more, one who is forgiven a little bit or someone who is forgiven much. And he said, well, I guess the person that's forgiven much would, would love and, and appreciate more. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do you see this woman? And he goes on to express that, you know, I came into your home. You offered nothing. You, did, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't. This woman has done nothing but, you know, tend to me because she has a great devotion and appreciation because her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And this has given her a great appreciation for salvation, a great love for Jesus. Simon the Pharisee, thinking he pretty kind of in there in his own self-righteousness, really, imagining himself kind of in equal with Jesus, kind of having him to dinner for political reasons or for maybe scrutiny reasons. I'll check this Jesus out didn't recognize his own need for, of forgiveness and therefore didn't, couldn't appreciate the value of salvation. One of the reasons we lose appreciation for salvation is really just pride. We imagine that, you know, we deserve to be saved. 
Or, you know, we're doing pretty good and so I don't have to be, you know, we wouldn't be that thankful for what he's done. That's just pride and we should really be honest in our hearts and humble ourselves and appreciate much for he has saved us from much. The other thing that I think affects our our joy of salvation or appreciation of it is really just uh, the cares of the world. We become, we become distracted with spirit with with carnal things. I remember you may remember in Genesis when God delivered Lot and his family out of the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember? And they came out, and it was this horrible judgment that came on. Fire and brimstone came upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot's wife, what did she do? She looked back with longing. Here she was saved from this destruction, but all she could think about was, oh, what I've lost. Oh, to go back. You see, her heart was still connected to the, to the world, to those things that she had in the world. And that caused her to lose sight and value of the blessing of salvation. Having been delivered from this great judgment, all she could think about is, oh, I wish I had my things back there. Oh, to go back to my old life. When we get caught up in the world, when we get caught up in the things of the world, salvation is not as precious to us because we're more focused on the things of the world. Another reason, and the last one I'll mention here, is just, I think, just a lack of faith. The truth is, sometimes life gets to be overwhelming, and we become discouraged, and we become anxious, and we become worrisome. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And when circumstances mount up, and and we become that, that feeling of kind of lost in despair... Salvation seems like something far off and and hard to grasp. And really, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of remembering what God has promised. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. When faith grows weak, we lose hope. The hope of salvation is, is not, it's, it's not in the forefront of our thinking because we're, we're too caught up in managing the cares and the worries of the world, of, the, of our lives. And maybe you're trying to live for the Lord and maybe you're endeavoring even to do your best, but the joy of salvation has been taken from you because you are overwhelmed by the difficulty and circumstance of life. The Bible would encourage us to look upward. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But what? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's not talking about overcoming the world in this life, is He? He's talking about the overcoming in the next life. The salvation that He has promised you. Be of good cheer, the Bible would say. Let not your heart be troubled, the Lord would say. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be anxious for nothing. Paul told the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eager for the Savior tonight? Are you, are, are, is, is that where your hope is? Is that where your faith and confidence is? Because if it is... These troubled times are not going to be able to overwhelm and weigh you down because the faith and the hope that you have 
is going to rise above those things. And you're going to be able to be of good cheer. You're going to be able to have your heart take courage. Because of the hope of salvation, this hallelujah rises up for the joy of salvation. Heaven is rejoicing because the fullness of salvation has finally come. John 5, 15, 11, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. God doesn't want us glooming and, and, and worried. And, you know, as times grow dark, this is not a time now to despair, but rather to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It's closer now. And this is where my hope must, must rest and this is where my confidence must be. Paul told the, uh, the Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's what salvation is. An indescribable gift. A too good to be true. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Secondly, the hallelujahs rise for his true and righteous judgments. Look at verses 2 and 3. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. There is a rejoicing that rises up in heaven for the, for the true and righteous judgments of the Lord. The Bible says that God's judgments are perfectly righteous and true and fair and just. Oftentimes, this is where the enemy will attack. He tries to call into question the integrity of God. If there's a loving God, then how come this? Or asking, you know, well, what about that person who lives in the remote jungle that never heard the gospel? And then, you know, all these kind of, you know, these scenarios. And, and it's, it's okay to, to think on these things. Trying to create, you know, these unique scenarios. Then what? As if somehow you can ask, if you ask just the right question, you're going to catch God not being fair. <laughs> I don't know how God is going to sort it all out. But I know this, that His judgments are righteous and true. I believe that God will be fair. He will be more than fair. He's been that way with me. I believe that God delights in mercy and that judgment is the last thing that God wants to bring. But when mercy and grace are rejected, when love is shunned and rebellion and I'm going to do it my way, get lost, Lord, there is an ultimate judgment that comes. We see it poured out in these, verse, these chapters that we've looked at. And, then, and the people of God, the saints of God, the angels in heaven are rejoicing because God has brought an end to these rebellious ways. He's judged the harlot, it says. Now, of course, we know the harlot is that Babylon referenced in chapter 18. We believe that represents that false religious system, that man's rebellion and rejection of the true and living God, and rather he creates his own religious system. He devises his own way to worship God, worshiping God in man's way rather than in spirit and in truth. Spiritual fornication. 
When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This in Revelation 19 is the answer to that prayer. God is getting ready to bring his kingdom and his will to the earth. I don't know about you, but there are times, and I don't think about this all the time, but there are times when I just, I grow weary of this world. I grow weary of, of the things that I see going on. There are certain you know, news stories that will just oh, grieve me so. Some of these horrible things that are done with these young girls that are taken hostage and their, their bodies are found. And, and, and I, I just, oh God. And I think about what's going on in the world. And I, I think about the sinfulness of men. And men are just, we're so rebellious. We're so determined to not have God and to do it our way and to, and to live in our own selfish, petty world. And there is a grieving in my heart, Lord, I know that this is not what you created us for. I know this is not why you made the earth, so that we would do this. I know that you have something better in mind. And my hope is set on that, that his kingdom is going to look different than this one. And it's not that any of us long for others to be judged, but the truth is, if man, if God doesn't judge, then we will just continually go on in perpetual, you know, downward cycle. You've seen the history of man repeat itself. It's the way men go. God has to intervene. And He does so even in judgment. He does so in mercy to, to create opportunity for those who do want to turn, who can turn, that they will. And he's been so patient and so gracious, but there's coming a day when the time will run out and there'll be nothing left that God can do but, but start over and bring judgment to the earth and come as King and Lord and establish His reign of peace upon the earth. As we read the judgments, they seem very difficult to, to bear and they will be, but we must understand that that has to come so that His kingdom can come. When will these promises be fulfilled? Let me ask you. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now we know that's referencing Jesus. And the government will be upon His shoulder. Well, I don't know. The government's not on His shoulders today. And His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. As you read that, don't you long for that, O God, O Prince of Peace, come and, and bring peace. Come and establish your rule in the earth. This is why there's, an, there's a hallelujah that rises when He comes to accomplish it. He comes to bring. We, we sing a song, Justice and peace, you bring it. And only He can bring it. 
There's a judgment of the harlot. There's a, there's a promise of his kingdom on the, on the doorstep. It also mentions that he is avenging the blood of the saints. That references back, you may remember, you don't need to turn, but re- remember in Revelation 6, the martyrs that had come up out of the time of tribulation, they were crying out in heaven, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There is a a longing for those that have suffered under persecution, a longing for God to come and set things right. But the Lord would say that vengeance is mine. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, but listen, God is Watching, God is keeping tally on what men do. And he's not, he's, it's not that he doesn't care. I mean, sometimes we wonder, oh Lord, why would this innocent saint, why would this person be taken? Why did this one die? We think of persecution even unto death. Through the scriptures, you can, you know, the book of martyrs. But even today, there are some that are being murdered in India. Some, some that are being killed for their Christian faith. But the Bible says this in Psalm 116.15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Oh, God is watching. God sees when a life is given for its faith. He will, Psalm 72.14, He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in His sight. You may remember when Cain killed Abel. The blood of Abel cried out to the Lord. Understand that God will right things. You know, maybe you're here tonight, so you haven't suffered unto death. But I'm sure you've been mistreated. I'm sure you've been wronged. And may, maybe even unjustly. Some of us suffer wrong because we deserve it. <laughs> but sometimes we suffer it truly. It's, it's, it's an injustice. And maybe it might even be for your faith in Jesus Christ. It might even be for your stand in trying to serve the Lord. And at times we wonder, Lord, why aren't, you, why, why aren't you watching over my case here, Lord? Peter, and you know Peter, ultimately gave his life for the Lord. He encouraged his brethren this way. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God will judge. God will bring his kingdom. God will redeem. God, will, God is watching. God knows your struggle. God knows your difficulty. God knows the injustice. God knows even those who would die. Precious are they in the sight of the Lord. He is watching and he will bring his kingdom in time. Well, this next hallelujah, I'm calling it an amen hallelujah. Verse 4. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you remember who the twenty-four elders are. We, we saw them way back in the earlier parts of the book. And we believe those represent really the church there in heaven. The four living creatures are those four cherubim surrounding the throne of God that often gather for worship. And as this worship, as this hallelujah breaks out, those that are there 
uh, these, uh, the, the church and, and the cherubim, they say amen. Hallelujah. It's kind of like um, worship can be contagious. You know, when they begin to worship, then, then, then others, they say amen. And amen simply means, you know, let it be so. It's true. It's, it's a hearty approval. Jesus said, verily, verily, the same word. It, it, like, you know, when, when they hear this worship chorus rise, their hearts rise too, and they say, Amen, hallelujah. That's the way it should be. That's the way worship should be in our hearts as well. I mean, that's one of the reasons we sing the songs that we sing. We're, we put words up there. We're, we're trying to get an amen from you. You know, we're trying to just, you know, Amen, he is true. Amen, I will rise. Amen, he is going to call my name. And it stirs worship. There is an amen in worship. When truth is declared, when, when God is revealed, there's a amen. Praise God. And that should be in our hearts. That should ever be in our hearts. I remember when I was um, beginning to lead worship many years ago. And we were endeavoring to try and learn some new worship songs and um, this was before YouTube. Now you just go on YouTube. It's pretty cool. You can learn just about any song you want, watch it performed and learn it. But before that, you'd have to kind of, you know, get the music and then get the CD. And in some cases, they would have videos of a, worship, a live worship service where you could watch. And I remember the first time I ever got one of those videos of a live worship service. I was blown away. I had never seen anything like that. Uh, and to see that when I saw God's people worshiping and this whole chorus and people worshiping the Lord, I, I, I remember my heart. There was an amen. I can remember getting down on my knees in my living room and worshiping with, with, the, with the video. <laughs> kind of like one of those exercise videos, only it was a worship video. <laughs> my heart was stirred. I just I was caught up in it. My heart said amen. And I think that's what's happening here in heaven as the worship rises. There's the, you know, the others have to get involved. Amen. Amen, Lord, let it be so. Amen, Lord, we agree. There's a response in worship. There's a, there's a catching up with the worship that goes on. And we worship Him because He's worthy. We, we worship Him because He's worthy. He is worth that kind of expression. He is worth that kind of proclamation, declaration. And as, it, as, as we see the truth, and as we hear the truth, and as we sing the truth, there should be something that says, Amen, you are worthy tonight, Lord. You are worthy this morning, God. You are worthy of my worship. If my worship depends on how I feel when I come in, I'm not going to be always ready to worship. But I'm so thankful that my worship is not dependent upon me, but rather upon Him who is worthy. So He's always worthy of it. I should always be ready to give it to Him. The other thing that we see a hallelujah, a worship rising for, is, be, is for His the Lord God omnipotent reigns because He is God Almighty. Look there at verses 5 and 6. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now, I mean, it it started with, I think, a group of angels, then the 24 elders and the four living beings, and now a voice comes from heaven, no doubt another angel calling all of heaven to the chorus. All the voices in heaven. And it's, when, it start, when it fires up, it sounds like rushing water and like a thunder. I'm kind of getting excited about that just thinking about it. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a kind of a group setting where, where, where you know, there's this unison of voice and worship. I mean, of course we have it here, but imagine this 10,000 times 10,000s. And imagine the sound of that. Now all of heaven is come to worship. And they're worshiping because the Lord God Almighty reigns. Omnipotent means all-powerful. It's a call to worship. All of His servants, all who fear Him, small and great, all-inclusive. It reminds me of the psalm where, where it says, Let everything that has breath give praise to the Lord. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Nothing is too difficult for Him. And He does reign. He rules and is in control. The Bible says concerning Jesus that He is seated at the right hand until the Father makes His enemies His footstool. This is that day. This is the day when the enemies will be His footstool. He is waiting. He has not yet returned to take His victory that He has already won. But the day is coming and soon. And He will come and He will reign. He is in control. He is going to establish His rule in the earth. We are going to see the fulfillment of that prophecy I read in Isaiah. The government is going to be on His shoulders. And He is going to rule and reign over all the earth. And boy, when it comes. You know, if you're a born-again Christian... You're going to be there, great and small. When, when, when he calls all, you'll be part of that. This is a, go ahead and rehearse this because you're, you're going to be there. You are going to be there on that day. You're going to see this come to pass. It's going to happen. Turn with me. Hold your place there. Turn with me to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Now, you know, if you really... Want a little homework? Read Psalm 146 all the way through the end, Psalm 150. These are just great worship psalms. But Psalm 146, it it does emphasize His reigning forever. It does emphasize that God is in control over all the nations. And as I looked at it, just preparing, I thought, Lord, this, this is where our hearts have to be. Our confidence has to be in You. Look with me, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Homework, just finish out the book of Psalms from there forward. It will stir your heart to worship Him. Put your trust in Him tonight. He does reign. He is all-powerful. He will have the last word in all things. Fifthly, tonight, we notice the call to rejoice because of the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. Look at verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. There is a a marriage of the bride of Christ to Christ. The Bible often speaks of Jesus' bride being the church of which you and I are members of. We are part of that bride and all today we're just engaged. I mean, we're not married yet. But there is coming a day where we will be joined. Christ will return for His bride. And we will come together with Him to the earth when He establishes His reign. He is the one that prepares His bride. And notice it says that He is the one that is to receive the glory. Give Him glory. You see that in verse 7. This is a passage that we often use. In fact, the men in our fellowship, we just recently looked at it, talking about how husbands are to relate to their wives. And of course, Christ is our example. Good luck with that, guys. But we try. We do try. But here's what it says in Ephesians concerning Christ caring for His bride, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We're going, as a bride, we are going to be arrayed in beautiful clothing because He has cleansed us, because He has washed away every spot, every blemish. He, by His righteousness given to her, has credited righteousness to her account. And she's going to stand before Him spotless and blameless, a beautiful bride adorned in pure, clean, white linen. But this passage also says that the, white, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now we know that we're not saved by any works or acts, but rather by faith in what Christ has done. And yet God allows us to to fulfill good works that He has prepared. God would call us as the bride to, to do good, good works as a result of who we are in Christ. 
And even those works, they must be done by His Spirit and by His grace. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You must abide in me. I will nourish. I will empower you. But as we serve the Lord, those works actually kind of become part of the adornment to the bride. It's His righteousness. It's what He has done. He's the one preparing us. But then the works that we would do for Him will also receive credit and and a sense of adding to the beauty of what He has done. Not concerning salvation, don't misunderstand, but just concerning the beauty of reward that God has for those who are faithful. Peter would say this, speaking to women, he would say, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. These righteous acts, as we do the things that God has called us to do as the church, God is pleased, God is blessed, and we, we adorn ourselves with precious things that God has entrusted us to do by His Spirit and by His grace. Now you notice also there in verse 9, it says, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a wedding banquet now. So the bride will be there, but who are those that will be called to the marriage supper? Well, as Warren Wiersbe says, it's probably not the bride. Certainly the bride is not the guest at her own wedding. (laughs) So who are these guests? Well, most, most believe that there is a distinction here. There is the bride representing the church, but there will be the Old Testament saints and that there will be the, the tribulation saints, those that came to the Lord during the time of tribulation. They will be distinct from the church, but they will be there in the work of this wedding marriage supper. And I like what one commentator, Henry Morris, he says this, whatever distinctions may exist between the saints of the pre-Abrahamic period, the saints in Israel before Christ, the saints among the Gentiles from Abraham to Christ, the saints of the tribulation, and the saints in the churches from Christ to the rapture, such distinctions are secondary to the great primary truth that all will be there by virtue of the saving work of Christ and their personal trust in the true Creator God and His provision of salvation. This marriage of the Lamb is going to be a great and beautiful day for all who know the Lord. Finally tonight, we see in verse 10 this exhortation to worship the Lord. John says, And I fell at His feet to worship. Talking about this, this angel that was revealing and sharing these things with Him. He fell down mistakenly to worship at the feet of this angel. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John mistakenly worships the messenger. These angelic beings must have been pretty impressive. And I can understand where you know, he's just caught up in this worship and this revelation. And he's so thankful to see it. He's so thankful to this angel to be revealing it to him. He wants to just worship and bow down before him. He feels it's appropriate. And it's unfortunate, but 
even today, I think there are times when people look to worship the messenger. They look to to lift up the, the minister rather than worship the Lord. But this angel would have nothing of it. This angel would have nothing of it. He said, don't do it. I'm just a fellow servant. The Bible would compare us. The Bible says that we are all just unprofitable servants. Worship God. Don't put a man, don't exalt a man, even a good man, even someone who may be in ministry, you know, even great men of ministry. We don't exalt men, we exalt the Lord. We look to the Lord. We worship God. And he says that all prophecy will lead to Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Those who are truly doing the work of God, those who are true prophets and truly ministering and speaking forth for God, they will always glorify and testify of the true Jesus Christ. All true ministry always brings glory to Christ. Paul would say to the Colossians that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus Christ is returning. Jesus Christ is going to come again. And he is going to establish peace on earth. Heaven, foreshadowing it, seeing it, after the judgments being poured out, heaven responds with a worship and a hallelujah. Is it appropriate for us to worship the Lord with with kind of an expectation of what's to come? Isn't it okay for us to rejoice as well and say, praise God, Jesus is coming back. I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. I've got a future, a hope. I've got an eternal destiny with the Lord. Oh, things aren't perfect right now. Things are. I, I have my share of trial and tribulation. I'm going through things, but... God is on the throne. God Almighty, the omnipotent reigns. I don't know. There's just something in these passages that I think should kind of encourage our hearts to to say hallelujah. I don't know if you've ever said hallelujah. Well, that's one of those Christianese words. I don't use it. Well, you will when you get to heaven. (laughs) You might as well get a little practice. It just means praise God. It just means praise the Lord. Worship is for the Lord. Praising God is appropriate. It's right. It's good. It's It's not dependent upon you and I. It's dependent upon Him who is worthy of it. Well, Pastor, you know, I'm just not really into worship. Well, that's good because worship isn't about getting into you. It's about getting into Him. It's about declaring the true things concerning Him. Well, I worship the Lord in my own way. Well, do you, do you hear the, the problem with that? Worship is ascribing worth to Him. Yeah, that's what I do in my own way. <laughs> that's like wanting to honor somebody and you take them out to dinner and you take them to your favorite restaurant. <laughs> they, don't even like, they don't even like fish and you take them to a fish place. You know, yeah, but well, it's my favorite place. I'm honoring you in my own way. <laughs> No, worship is for the Lord. And we need to give the worship that is due His name. And we need to do it in the way that He has prescribed it to be done. 
giving him the glory. And, and listen, you, you just I gave you some homework. Read it. You'll see how it's supposed to look. You'll see how the Bible encourages us and exhorts us to, to sing and make melody, to worship the Lord, to praise Him, to lift your hands, to kneel, to sing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Anybody here with breath tonight? Raise your hand. Okay. So you're a worshiper, a potential worshiper. I encourage you to do so because God has done great and wonderful things. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for tonight and just these, these passages where heaven beginning to rejoice. It's like all of heaven has been waiting, God. You're, they've seen the judgments. They see the plan of God beginning to unfold. And they know that Christ is just at the door. And now the last of the judgments have been poured out and Jesus getting ready to descend. And this rumble, this rumble of chorus of hallelujahs begins to mount. And it begins, Lord, for, for the angels who are declaring you, thanking for salvation. And then the church joins in. And then all of heaven and a sound like many waters of mighty thunderings. All of heaven begins to sing and declare, Hallelujah, praise God, the Lord omnipotent reigns. Lord, may our hearts be encouraged tonight. May we be reminded of the joy of our salvation. Oh Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, if there are hearts heavy here tonight and discouraged and feeling maybe overwhelmed, Lord, it doesn't mean that we're going to walk out and everything's going to be different. It doesn't mean that our circumstances will immediately change. But, Lord, we have some promise here that in, in due time they will change. That there is a day coming when all will change. And, God, I pray that we would, we would find hope in that and that it would really be the anchor for the soul during times of storm. And that there would be a joy a peace that passes understanding. Lord, comfort hearts tonight. Reassure them of their salvation, of your salvation. Assure them again of your love and your promise and your keeping promise and covenant with them. And Lord, just as our heads are bowed and we're closing, I also want to give an opportunity if there are some here that do not know the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you're hearing some of these things about a judgment that's going to come upon rebellious men. I've shared tonight that all of us are sinners and all of us need forgiveness. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never received that forgiveness that's offered. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to, to change anything to make it happen. You simply have to receive it by faith. You simply have to believe that what Jesus Christ has done for you is real and true. And if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, and I don't, I'm not trying to hype this up, but I'm just telling you, it's time to come to the Lord. It's time to get right with God. The day is short and the time is of the essence. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. If God is speaking to you tonight concerning salvation, this is your moment to receive it. This is your moment to meet Him. It's but a prayer of faith away. 
I want to pray for you if that's your heart tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you once walked with the Lord. It's not a matter of not knowing the gospel or having never even received it, but it's a matter today of not really living in it. And you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Well, I want to pray for you too. And again, I say the time is of the essence. It's time to be right with God. Come home. Rededicate your life to Him. Get right in relationship with the Lord. He loves you. He's here to meet with you. This is not about you having to become worth, you know, clean your act up. God wants you tonight. And He is willing to forgive and to cleanse and to begin to restore you in relationship. So if you're here tonight and you need to come to the Lord for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life to Him, I'm asking you to raise your hand so that I can see you here tonight and I will pray for you. Anyone here tonight? God bless you. God bless you as well. Any besides these three? God bless you, sir, in the back. Right here up front. Amen. God bless you. We're going to close here in a song of worship in just a moment. Anyone else that needs to respond here before we move forward? Well, I'm going to ask you all now if you would stand with me. We're going to close in a song of worship, but before we do, I want to pray for those that have responded. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. If you raise your hand here tonight and you need to get right with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to come forward here and meet me here at the step so I can pray with you. So come on forward. Bless you. And I, I know it's a little, um, I know it can be a little intimidating to kind of come out of the crowd and be public with your confession tonight. And I don't do it to embarrass anybody. I do it because it, it's, it's something good for you. There's something about kind of making a declaration that I want Jesus in my life. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm willing to you know, be out of the closet about it, so to speak. Not something secret, something nobody knows, but rather a declaration, you know, I need Jesus. And there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. In fact, there's something to be very thankful for and rejoice. And we, we just rejoice with you. So I thank you for coming this, this evening. I thank you for responding. And I believe you're coming forward, making this public declaration that you want Jesus in your heart and life or you're coming back to him and recommitting yourself to him I believe it will it will change your life I'm going to pray for you now we'll have some others that will be willing to pray with you we have Bibles those of you that may need them uh, we just want to love on you okay and welcome you into this uh, wonderful work that God wants to do in your life 
So I'm going to ask those that are, that are here to pray with me, if you would come, some of our prayer ministers. And church, if you'd just reach your hands out to these, uh, these wonderful folks that have come to meet with Jesus. Lord, the Bible says that when one sinner comes to repentance, when just one life responds to the good news of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Lord, tonight we've got, a, we've got more than one up here. We've got several, and I've just got to believe there's a little party going on in heaven right now. There's a rejoicing in the heart of God tonight over you, folks. Now, I'm going to lead you in prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me, if you would, as we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. So just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I come to you tonight with sincerity, with all my heart, and I want to say something. I want to confess that I need mercy, that I make mistakes that I have sinned. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me, to make me as though this ne- these things have never happened. And Lord, I know and believe that the only way that's possible is because of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin, shed his blood, took the, pain, the penalty for my sin, and that as I put my faith in him, I have a confidence that I'm forgiven, that I'm cleansed, that I'm renewed. And Lord, I also ask that your spirit would come into my heart And strengthen me and help me to live for you. I want to live with you in relationship. I want to be close to you, Lord. I want to hear you in my heart. I want you to hear my prayers. I want you to change me and make me the person you've created me to be. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.